Beardy and the Beast Media Club. This is placeholder intro song. Hello and welcome to Beardy and the Beast Media Club. Full spoiler discussion into film and media. Unlike some gifts, spoilers won't be faked here. We are available on this and other services with a full list available at beardyandthebeast.com. Please feel to rank or follow us. However, if you enjoy what we do, please give us a share. I'm Devin, and joining me in our Moonlight Procession is Drew. Hi. <laughs> Today we'll be discussing the 2013 Studio Ghibli film, The Tale of Princess Kaguya. This is an animated film adapted from the Japanese folktale Bamboo Cutter and was directed and written by Isayo Takahata. So, Drew, were you able to find your happiness with this? Uh, uh, yes, and no, and then yes, and then no, and then yes, <laughs> and then ultimately no. Uh, I don't, I don't want to go into a big rant about it yet, but there was a whole lot of things that I really liked about this film. And then there was a few uh, Ghibli-esque points that I didn't. All right. Uh, as, as you know from previous discussions, um, Studio Ghibli uh, movies can be very hit or miss for me. Right. And this one towed the line so spectacularly. But that, that being said, let's, let's just go directly into the emotions yeah. uh, of this one. Speaking of like the like happiness, sadness, uh, the themes of being free versus being like secluded and contained. How did you feel your yourself while watching this this uh, film? Oh, it, it it's interesting. So there's a few things. I, I a sense of familiarity with the film, and even though I hadn't seen it, it's it's something resonated there right away uh i think you yourself know i'm a big fan of fairy tales and folklore mm, mm. so it may have just been kind of picking up on some of those folklore tropes like i it was a little bit of a roller coaster uh, one of the things that i kind of felt was like uh, the song that kaguya and and them all sing was talking about the seasons mm. i it kind of felt like I was riding turning of the seasons throughout the film. Like it seemed to be a spring and then a summer and a fall and then a winter. Like of. emotionally? Yeah, the, the, the emotions did tie to that. So you kind of have that, oh, this is kind of that upbeat, you know, energetic spring, right? Mm. Some, some change. And then you had the summers, like, yeah, you're, you're going through and enjoying everything, going into to a winter or going into a fall when they start the move, uh, and then, and you know, kind of following that um, train, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I, I thought that was done really well. Um, I agree, and I, the, I like the way that you put that. Actually, um, that I don't think I would have put it to words as well as that. Uh, I definitely felt that roller coaster and the change of emotional seasons. Yeah. I know one cool thing is during this film, once she started um, 
wearing the tr traditional Japanese garb in the layers. They yeah. were actually in the amount of layers and in the colors related to that time period and the seasons. Yeah. Uh, I bet you if we were to rewatch this with that in mind and looking for that specifically, we would be able to match the emotions to what she was like physically wearing in the film. Yeah. For me, the, the emotions were a lot of, a lot of that like kind of sadness and finding yourself searching for joy versus expectations yes yeah. kind, of, kind of what i saw and it was kind of rotating in in between them which i found jarring in the middle of the movie because mm. it seemed very rapid as if it was kind of like a slow change during the start between the seasons of emotions and then it started rapidly going during the the middle yeah and then it kind of Honestly, I feel like it ended on a winter. I... Oh, I, I completely agree that there. And yeah, it's interesting you say that about the the emotions like that because, like, I kind of picked up on the the seasons thing right away. Like as mm. soon as I heard the song, I'm like, that's that's important to this. So, I kind of started writing in my notes, like, okay, this feels like we're in we've hit fall. This feels like we hit winter, mm. and. I almost expected an end to the film at winter. And then it started the cycle again. But that's so, probably where I felt jarred. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think it was very possibly because the season cycle had changed again and you're not expecting it necessarily. A lot of the other things, like, I felt like I had a lot of the story beats I think I kind of picked up on uh, early. Like, again, that season thing is what stuck with me. Mm -hmm. So like my immediate thoughts were something like she's going to be short lived. Like I, I was expecting her to arguably die, which arguably was there. And I, I know that, um, that the, the writer director had actually said that, yeah, no, there is a metaphor of death there. So, um, I kind of, all that early on uh, done in a slightly different way but I mean that could be more uh, Japanese culture because this is a very traditional story and to be to be honest like there there's so much contained within this film like yeah. I, I could watch it another two times and pick up more things each time and still be missing all the little things and I did notice a lot of little things and I think Beyond that, the culturally specific stuff, there's a whole lot of that I was missing in that aspect. I'm glad yeah. that you picked up on the song as being an important part because I did as well. But for me, it was the from more of a like foreshadow foreshadowing or character na narrative standpoint as far as uh, uh, Kaguya. I guess at that point, mm -hmm. Little Bamboo, which was endearing yeah. to me, that kind of told me, like, her being one with nature and then being, like, taken out of that and then eventually returning to what she consider, considers home, I guess you could say. Um, I guess, I mean, in the context of the movies, calling it home, the, the Moon Kingdom or whatnot is not the right terminology because she referred to home as the mountain. But... I, I think, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, uh, the emotions of it, the animation 
did well in in a similar manner to uh, our recordings on uh, the second wall, Carolyn Tuesday. Though the frame rate's higher with the characters on this, the way of the facial expressions on the important characters in the scene are so apparent. Yeah. You can see the concern in the bamboo cutters, the father's face. You can see the joy that having this baby has brought him. You can see the life like draining out of Kaguya's eyes when the more she gets to being donned in these silks and having to deal with, you know, princess protocols. So that being expressed to me, um, like I'm very visual in that manner, seeing seeing those facial expressions, I think did so well to transmit the emotion of the characters. Yeah. And that's probably what separated that this movie from something I would not enjoy to something that I would. Okay. If this was in a more burn gully, Mm. such a basic form of animation uh it's all narrative all music and that's what they push the emotions with if that was if this was in that same animation style when you asked me the opening question today i would have said two thumbs down worst movie ever but because of the emotional transference like how how they were to able to visually represent the character's emotions is what allowed me to connect with the characters Right. And be involved in the story emotionally. Yeah. For sure. Like they everything about it. You could see the joy in, in the father. The and like all the way right to the very end with the glance back to the earth mm. from her, right? Like it's just you know, it, it kind of breaks your heart or the you know, when when she's about to don the moon robe and snaps out of it for that second to essentially say goodbye to her parents. Like the emotion was so there, and it's actually something that shocked because, like, you know, I was, I was tearing up a bit, and the the snap change when she actually gets that robe put on her. Oh yeah, um, you can emotion to that blank, like, because when she, obviously, when she puts on the robe, she forgets who they are, which I mean, we can talk. I'd like her. And that glance back and that tinge, you can tell that the emotions were still calling to her, even though she didn't know who these people were. There was something drawing to her, which they, it was just so beautiful that in such a simple environment, what they could do with the characters. Yeah. It even started off more like a classical painting or even a watercolor. And you would see things like, baby Kaguya, like, just rolling around all roly-poly, which I I had that emotion where you, like, where you see, where you see, like, a child who's filled with glee and kind of filled with joy, and you kind of empathically pick up on that, and you kind of, like, you have that that feeling, like, oh, I wish that was me right now. Yeah. And I had that with this character on the screen, as simply animated as it was. Like, I know the simple animation is based off of Japanese scrolls. You yeah. see one in the middle of the in the middle of the film, and no, you're right. They they did that very well. Cause again, I think again right at the beginning, um, you had that that pure joy, and she had like the the little is it the frog or the cricket in her hand, and it jumps off, and just that instant snap, and just like, oh, that's how babies are. <laughs> and she starts crying because it ran away from her, and 
I think they really captured that well. And they just captured the life of the world mm. really well. Like, especially in the in the those opening everything before she goes to before they go to the capital. Like you just hear the music, beautiful music throughout the film cutting out and you just get that nature sound and it's kind of like I want to go up to the mountains. <laughs> yeah. The, the the characters and how they moved uh, especially the like the young boys on an adventure versus Kaguya versus like the treasury of work but the bamboo cutter like seemed to still love what he was doing so the way he moved like spot on. Like yeah. I couldn't ask for anything better, especially to represent something that is more folktale orientated. Yeah, the the music is actually the first thing that I noticed, even before I realized that the verbal introduction was that of a fairy tale or or folktale. Yeah, because that original music, just that simple piano with what sounded like a music box, I think, mm. just set up set me up so perfect for the following scenes with the bamboo cutter f- finding the the girl in the bamboo shoot and like there was a mystical yet playful yet uh mythical aspect to the way that the sound design was done yeah the exact word that i wrote down was whimsical mm-hmm. and very inviting especially when tied with the watercolor pastel credit scene and it was warm yeah yeah thinking back to it now going into it the colors were definitely warm and inviting and even that scene where like he discovers the girl yeah the way the way that you could see that in an actual painting uh to represent a spirit or a goddess would be in the exact way you see it in the film yeah so the the music lead up to that scene like, if you were to just give me a short of that, I probably would have been satisfied as, yeah. like, a whole piece of art. I felt throughout the movie, it kind of, there was scenes of that, but it was also sparse in between. As in, like, the key points were very well structured and thought out, but a very loose bridge between them. I don't, mm. I don't know if I can express that well. But that, that also might be... If I were to think about that from a positive standpoint opposed to a negative one, because my connotation now is negative, if I look at it from a positive standpoint, that could also just them having a sound design that was so well thought out that only the cue point or the uh, key points were represented in a way that I recognized. Right. Um, I'd have to go back and watch it to, to really see, but. In- in like just thinking about it, so <clears throat> I mean, it was the most of the music did play with the same song. It sounded like to me, mm. like I was constantly hearing. Um, I I wish I knew what the song was called, but I did not think to write that down. But it was constantly throughout, and I found it really interesting because they did make it sound a little bit darker sometimes, and like almost a rocky sound, like when she was practicing mm. right um so I, I really really enjoyed that aspect and again i think an important thing that a lot of people forget about when it comes to sound design and, and music and such especially you don't see it as much now 
the silences and the lack of music is just as important. Yeah, and that's like to call back to our very first episode, uh, Silent Hill. If you haven't listened to it, go ahead and listen to that after this. Um, <laughs> the the lack of sound and just hearing a character's footsteps or like an animal whimpering or crickets in the distance or a lack of can express so much about the environment of the scene and will instinctually make you feel uneasiness or happiness or being calm. For instance, if you're out in the forest and all of a sudden you don't hear any animals, you start feeling defensive and wary. Whereas if they express that in a film well, you'll get that same anxiety. Yeah. And yeah, I think they did quite well at expressing that in this film. But I mean, from from this studio, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect any less. This yeah. is, this is kind of one of the key points, key things that they're good at doing. Though sometimes their stories can be hit or miss for me personally. Don't shoot yeah. me. <laughs> there, regardless of if the story works for you, you can't ignore the quality that's come from the studio. Yeah, well, I mean, you, it's, we we discuss this all all the time, you and me. We, how, you got to separate the good parts of the film or what it's done for filmmaking in general as a whole or the negative aspects from the whole piece yeah that being said i was it's, it's been a while since i've seen a ghibli film meaning i didn't come into this with the same expectations i usually would which are usually right. high and that's might be why i've been let down in the past from them but that is a long story thing get me on a q a and I'll yeah. rant about it for a while. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> As a whole, so, some of the themes that they get into, they seem to like to paint them in an abstract and then pull them in nice and tight and then let them bleed out again as if you were painting in watercolors. Yeah. You let in with, like, did you find your happiness? I, I wrote that in my notes down as joy, but happiness is the better descriptive term. Mm. this this film to me and I think there might be something culturally missing like I actually went and I listened to a couple different takes of the Tale of the Woodcutter or sorry okay. Bamboo Cutter before the podcast today and it's, a, it's as you would expect because it is a folk tale there's different versions so this is just a adaptation of it and it's gone in its own way so it didn't help right. at all f- for me yeah, there were some thematic thematic points, but I just they were different enough. I I couldn't decide if let, let me let me step back a moment. Sure. Folk tales, fairy tales. Yeah. There are they're usually supposed to be some form of lesson or moral teaching or something as simple as be cautious of strangers or be good to your parents. And the way that they structured this movie made, I kept having this feeling from the beginning of it. It's like, what is the, what is the morality or teaching that I'm going to absorb from this? Right. And I couldn't, I, I couldn't decide. And I was, I was wondering if you had any takes on this for the film, because so, I, I have a couple in this kind of. So I had a couple, I guess I'll go with the one that, kind of 
was hinted at, but ultimately wasn't accurate um, first. So uh, one thing I know, just a little bit, I do know of Japanese culture and things like Shintoism and such. There, there's always a big thing of balance between nature and being in the city. Um, definitely shown very well in a spirited way. I'm Mononoke, mm. right? So that was one thing that entered my mind. I thought she might have been the spirit of the forest or mm. of the mountain at first, especially when, you know, during that fantastic nightmare scene in the middle, she goes back in the mountains dying. I originally thought that was because she was pulled away, and I thought that's where the theme was going. But I think the other thing that I kind of picked up on somewhat earlier on was, yeah, this is still when she was like a, a baby. The other thing was um, that idea of happiness actually did um, stick with me. And as soon as like he found the gold first, right, um, in the bamboo, and my first thought was, this is going to corrupt him. Yeah, I had that he's, same thought. He, yeah, he's going to be looking for happiness for himself and not for, for Kaguya. And that's what what I saw happening. I don't think that it was malicious in any way. I, I think it, it was that, you know, best intentions. I, I'd like thing. to throw another layer on it. Mm-hmm. Of course, being more of a traditional piece, you're probably looking at more of a traditional fatherly mindset. So a father's mindset in that aspect would be providing for his daughter. Yeah. So what I took away that kind of expands on your point, and I I agree, I got this same feeling as well, was that his joy or happiness was for ensuring that his daughter was provided and set up for and would be you know, the highest position and the most well-kept, and that would bring her happiness. Right. So essentially searching for, trying to obtain happiness by providing, but he was providing the wrong things. Yes. And and, and that's exactly what I meant by not being malicious. Yeah. It's that not paying attention. I almost got, it's been ages for, so I'm not sure if the reference is actually accurate. I almost got like a death of a salesman type vibe from him mm. this is what it's supposed to be this is how you're supposed to be happy you know by being the salesman when in reality he just liked working with his hands right and not seeing that in them there's also of course the just the cultural difference i mean this is a very traditional piece so those ideas of happiness would have been completely normal when the, the piece is taking place right it's like you know you're happy you're happy when you're married to someone rich and and stuff like that because that's yeah if you have power if you you have influence i definitely got that and that was one of my my main thoughts throughout the entire thing it's the one that held the longest Mm -hmm. the other ones that i got um but what some of the lessons that i learned were there is an amount of happiness uh a girl can obtain through self-possession that is not being the property of somebody else or a thing, etc. And that was kind of a theme that they kind of pulled into repeatedly. There, there okay. was points where the father unknowingly was treating her like an object, like a goal of happiness. And then, of course, the entire situation where these potential suitors were relating her to objects, etc. Uh, the other one was um, 
simply just a happy happiness is a girl being herself. Mm. So not being made up to something she's not. But I couldn't I couldn't tie it in and this it might be again the cu cultural differences, but I couldn't get one overarching thing. The the only other thought I had and I don't think it's this. I just want to say it to see if you caught on to it. Seeking fortune and nobility will cost everything. Because okay. It happened to the bamboo cutter. It happened to the suitors. I'm just so wondering if it's I, something you noticed. So, now you mention it, I, I think I had that, but not quite in the same way. You just kind of want to go back to points. The themes you were seeing there. You'd said the themes of the happiness not being a possession. I think I can that in a more general way it, hmm. i think it's more the it's more just the freedom to be yourself versus the gilded cage that comes with Ooh. with the, with the prestige and i think that kind of fits that more yeah i, I think do so think yeah it, it, it's more general and again kind of that overarching bit and when you when you look at the father i don't think he realized he was putting her in a gilded cage i mean you, you see that when she releases that sparrow i think it was the, the bird right like no you don't belong in a cage and was well, it's interesting because it was also the cage that he crafted for her it was which goes back to the first feeling that i had in this this piece was um i i thought this uh, this bamboo this bamboo cutter makes things of bamboo make fine baskets and weaves yeah and he's found a girl within the bamboo what will he make of her mm -hmm. that was the first introduction thought i had and then i knew it would be this father the story of this father trying to over provide yeah it did do this thing for me which is always a negative aspect where in a film where if someone just expresses themselves, the entire thing will just unravel and the conflict will go away. Um, I didn't mind that here this time because, again, I think there's the cultural aspect. Oh, yeah. It, and right. especially especially at, in the time period this is supposed to take place, the rapid aging of the girl, though she, I think by the end of it, she's like six or seven years old total, maybe eight been around for that many human years yeah i just to to put it out there like if she just expressed her feelings to her father her father would have turned around immediately however if her mm -hmm. if her father alternatively if her father paid more attention to how she was instead of what she could be he would have right. seen so if those two people actually just had a conversation about it it'd be like okay let's we're going back to the mountain we're good yeah, I mean, they had a bunch of gold. It's not like they needed to worry, but I mean, them thematically and the story and the time, I I agree, I agree. It did work out, but that that's also where this story falls apart for me, because it ended on such a down note. <laughs> I, um, I I didn't get I didn't I just didn't get it at the end, and this is why it was a bit of a downer for me. I enjoyed it so much and then it just ended abruptly there was no realization of the characters that they learned a lesson there was no growth 
It's just everyone's sad, and now she's going back to the moon because she's. So, I think there's a, a couple things around that. So the the bittersweetness. I wasn't upset with the bittersweetness. Mm. I thought I saw a through line where, where she wouldn't be taken back to the moon. Specifically from the song goes, "If you're pine for me, mm. if you truly pine for me." Right, so I, I thought there was going to be that aspect there, but I think when it comes to the the lessons that you're talking about, I think there's different types of folklore, mm. and and I I suspect you're kind of tying a couple of different types together. Oh, probably. So, because it, it sounds like you're talking more about an Aesop fable. Yes, it's a hundred percent clearly a a lesson, whereas you don't always get that in in fairy tales they, they can be more of just the general themes and feelings right as opposed to a lesson so um, when i look at this i look at more of the there was a resolution to the living free versus being gilded gilded cage it wasn't happy but mm. a lot of fairy tales aren't That's right true. so so she was in this gilded cage and she was so miserable and unfortunately her father didn't see it or, or didn't whatever was blinding him right be it the, the status that he felt he was getting or more likely just the status he felt his his princess deserved i right? think it was the the, the latter it's, yeah it's definitely the latter so not realizing that it put her in such a cage that Essentially, she wished she was dead. And uh, it, it's almost that point. It's like, if you'd noticed that a little bit sooner, you would have been able to stop her from taking a leap. I think that's where that story comes from. So because of that, there wasn't really a way you could end it on a happy note. It had to have that bittersweet ending for that aspect of the lesson to be there. Mm. That, that aspect of a, of a theme. Well, it's something as simple as one of the other takes of the uh, Tale of the Woodcutter that I, I had watched afterwards. Um, she went back to the moon. The bamboo cutter and his wife uh, moved back to their original home, uh, which had a hole in the roof, and they lived happily ever after because they, they would feel the daughter via the moonlight. Right. There wasn't an emotional resolution for me. Mm. I did, however, at the end when they started doing the song with the kids, like kind of walking in with the uh, the aide who quickly became a character that I enjoyed. The the little stout one. Yeah. They kind of that was a little roller coaster to me because it was like, oh, she's snapping out out of it, like something's gonna happen, something big, and then it kind of ended up going back, anyways. Yeah. Um, but. I just wonder if I was looking at it via a different lens, if I would see it as more of a complete story. Because this, mm. is, this is one of the reasons why when you asked if I found my happiness through this film, I ended on no. Yeah. Because I didn't feel happy coming out of the film. And mm. I guess I'm also, I'm not as well versed in the fables and the fairy tales as you. Yeah. I'm more used to the adaptations. Right. Which almost always end up on some type of positive note. Yeah. Um, the happiness where the friends we made along the way kind of situations. Yeah. 
Ariel gets to marry Eric. <laughs> For example, yeah. One of the overarching themes that I really enjoyed, and I think you probably would have picked up a, a lot on this one, were the the poles of the free the free life verse that gilded cage like the life of a princess and it even starts early so early like when the boys were calling for little bamboo and um the bamboo cutter was calling for a princess she stops recognizes both but then cho chooses to go to to be the princess there and i feel like the only reason why she kept going towards that princess thing is because she felt it would make her father happy i completely agree i i think i feel like i think she actually even says that at one point in the film and and this kind of goes back to like in the the it's gotten so bad that she just wishes to end it because she straight up calmons like if you make me go to to the emperor's court sure you get your courtier's hat and that will be the end of me i will get you your happiness but know that this is what it's going to cost you. And I found multiple times throughout, like she was good at calling out what she could kind of see as fake happiness. Mm. Uh, I, I feel like she did it with the suitors in the same way. It's like, okay, if if you haven't seen me, you think that's what's going to make you happy? Well, you better go out and get the, me these impossible objects. Prove it. That's a good. That's a good way to to put it. And that also, that does give a bit of conclusion to the movie for me. Are you expressing it in that way? Yeah. Because the fa father finally realized that it's not bringing her happiness, but also was able to express that final cost. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of this was related to the cost of happiness. The, like the fact that the suitors, the objects that they needed to obtain all had some form of cost to them that left yeah. them all ruined be that losing their life or financially for for her being like a, a filial a filial daughter and choosing her family's happiness was at the cost of her own freedom yeah and that's probably what this is just the the balancing of costs yeah i guess would be the best way to put it yeah, and I think that's it. It's, I know I don't know quite as much about East Asian mythology, but the bits I do know, it's again that yin-yang mm. aspect. When that gets out of balance, things go bad. And I think essentially that's what happened. The points where she clearly lost that balance in a couple of places, hearing all of the people at the uh, naming party Cleaning banquet when they're just tearing apart her father and, and she's listening to that and then and going into that nightmare sequence i think that was I part of the nightmare thing. sequence i think that was her no. subconscious talking to her and that's why uh, she ran i i i have mixed thoughts of that like the way that i took it was i mean either way it the end result is the same but yeah. i I felt the as amazingly animated and emotional that section was mm -hmm. the, them tearing apart the father and her just like bailing. Yeah. I, 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 I think that she did hear them say that. Mm. 
I, I do think she snapped, like, because, I mean, she snapped that dish, right? I do think she said that, and I think, so I've seen a couple of interpretations on this. So some of this kind of goes back to the idea of where I thought she was a spirit. So like she took off like a like a spirit, <laughs> right? Um, in that nightmare scene. So I I thought it was real because like even the interaction where they were talking about the the death of the mountain because that was all part of that nightmare sequence, mm. right? So so I think that she, she did actually reach out. One thing I I heard I'm not completely sold on this um a theory is that she basically was so miserable at that point that she that was like a first suicide attempt almost for her i don't quite agree with that but i can see where that interpretation would come from yeah i think that's i think that's a reach um yeah i think that one's a reach but i think I it was more of it. like a, i'm closer to supernatural progression yeah uh one of the reasons why is she did get to the mountain. The people, the old family and those boys had all, had left. Yeah. Uh, she interacts with the same characters that took pity on her and fed her. Yeah. Later on in the movie. Well, that was heartbreaking. <laughs> so th those are aspects that she could only know if she was there somehow. Yeah. Um, but she didn't physically leave. Yeah. And then that's kind of where I lean towards. It's it's interesting because you you going from the spirit spiritual side. I was going from more uh, supernatural beast side. Mm. So when she went tearing off into the the night, I mean, awesome scene. Yes, Just so beautiful. Like her breaking through all the doors and then stripping the silks, the colorful silks, like as if you know layers are molting in my my aspect, and just. The way she was running through the hills mm. to me was like a supernatural beast, which right. that comes from the foreshadowing and what I was observing early in the movie. So I see where you're coming from with the spirits. In my opinion, she did visit. She mm. was there. But we also see later in the movie that she does have some form of power. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised. Actually, you see her as a character having powers to manipulate things immediately. Yeah, the the only way that she could know about various aspects and various characters and various things of, that happened on the mountain would be yeah. as if she had visited some. Yeah, that that scene was. I watched that scene twice, like back to back, um, with, with how how well it was done. The animation again just leads itself so well. It wouldn't be able to get that same emotion from any other. Well, it like, directly went to calling to like Japanese traditional, like more charcoal, um, yeah, pieces, and there was just a splash of red, yeah. And I just realized through us kind of talking about this that the first and second dreams, like almost thematically opposite, mm -hmm. and they both reversed at the end, yeah. So sure. It's not that the mountain was dying, it's that it's going through its cycle of rebirth. Yeah. Was the end. So it went from a nightmare, like pitiful, like downtrodden to uh, silver lining. Yeah. Whereas the second dream was freedom and happiness and joy, and then ending in sadness. She has to leave um, despair, which yeah. is right at the end, which is interesting. And if I. 
Can we can we just talk how Sudamaru is a bad father? <laughs> how he went from having a wife and a child to immediately, yeah, I'll run away with you. Oh, just yeah, say it. I definitely. I that was definitely there, and this is. <laughs> it, it, it's. I I'm gonna give it to him. It was. It did come off as a dream for him. Yes. But. Like, I was sitting here and I'm like, what are you doing? You were just giving a piggyback ride to your kid. <laughs> and I'm just like, they they did so well with those transitions is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. That it also made me suspect which parts are dream and which are not. Yeah. And if I were to go back, I, I mentioned to, when this film came up, I mentioned this uh, to you about, uh, I think, Totoro. If you if you if you go into that movie thinking that the little girls are dead and the mothers actually had a psychological break from it, it's a very different movie. Yeah. I'm wondering what happened if we went back into this movie considering what is dream and what is not. Mm. But I don't want to get too too off the Yeah, as well off the trail. I mean, like, Sudamaru wasn't the only one who would basically ditch his entire family for them i mean technically like the the third suitor the one that came back with the wildflower his wife was there and that's who he confronted <laughs> when they opened the blinds so i mean it's maybe it's a polygamy thing and i think sudamaru did care about her enough that it's like if the only chance you have is us running away we run away well, I mean, there was a supernatural aspect to her. Like, everyone was drawn to her in some aspect. Even from, like, the sound of her voice or the sound of her music, she she could command these people of high status just to shut the heck up. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some supernatural draw. She was said to be, like, the most beautiful thing ever seen. Yeah. Etc. But these dreams, I'm wondering... I'm wondering... The placement in the movie for me is hard because one is obviously closer to the middle, one is closer to the end. I'm wondering how much they affected my view on the story as a whole. Okay. Because I feel like I feel like instead of predicting things, they were more drawing them existing themes to a f to the forefront. Much like you would have a dream, like if you're feeling repeated stresses yourself, eventually they'll come out in a dream in a in a big manner this kind of seemed to be placed in the same way so what i mean is you kind of get that feeling leading up to this point that she's she's in a position that she probably shouldn't be in it's mostly titles it's mostly a facade she doesn't want to be there she wants the freedom this is a negative thing for her and all she wants to do is leave and then she has mm -hmm. that first dream which expresses it very well yeah. And then I guess after that, it kind of phases into the story beat, more of a search for freedom. So she's actualized, or not actualized, she understands her reality now after yeah. that. And then from there, it's the search for freedom. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, because after that, she, and she becomes the perfect noble lady in training after that first break. She's like, you know, I'm in the cage now. Until she drives away the suitors. And Sagami's like, no, there's not going to be others. <laughs> and leaves. 
and all of a sudden, you know, she's back to being herself, like being that, getting to have that freedom, you know, making the garden that was a perfect replica of the mountain and, you know, just going and working the, the weave machine, right? That kind of culminates in that yeah. last dream. Yeah, and it culminates in the last dream. The, the suicide interpretation, I can definitely put, definitely think that fits in the second dream i think was reaching out to tomorrow hoping that looking for a savior mm. actually after she'd she'd already been there but i mean that ends with her with a fall and again is that 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 too late aspect so yeah there's the dream sequences are i mean they're dream sequences it, it always is, you know a mind twist to <laughs> to try to figure out exactly what's happening there yeah i think and, I definitely think they were just used as a like an anchor point for the various themes and emotion in the film yeah to essentially bring a resolution to a chapter yeah i mean before that it if i were to look at it from a from a structural standpoint you probably have the youth to when they leave to the city right. and then you have the city to the dream sequence or alternatively was was seeing uh sutamaru before the first dream sequence i think it was um, um no i think uh i think it was after that was i'm pretty sure it was after the first dream sequence because yes because she had yeah, her name it was after so yeah it wouldn't have been that it would have been the dream and then that to the next dream and then a small ending yeah, Which... that, that would make sense because I, I think like those points make sense. Um, I I can't quite remember this, but I know like most Western media follows a three act structure. Mm-hmm. I believe a lot of um, a lot of Eastern media follows a four act structure. Mm. So so it's a slightly with a slightly different pacing, and you, you see this in you don't see it so much in like the the shonen actiony type anime, but you'll see it a little bit more in like the the slice of life. I find it in Japanese or like Japanese horror and such as well, mm. where things, the pacing feels off from our standpoint because a lot of it starts happening more at the end. And, and, and I think you kind of met, taught, touched on that earlier where we felt, you know, there, there was the buildup and then a lot of the emotion went up, up and down a lot more rapidly yeah. in the latter half. And I think, I think that comes from that structure. Uh, don't quote me on that because it's a passing thing that I like. I've watched a few videos on a few times, so I know I don't quite have it grasped. Yeah, and I'm I'm just a layman with opinions. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna get a shirt that just says that layman with opinions. <laughs> yeah, as far as the structures go, like I could draw it out on paper, and it didn't it didn't mess with me too much until the end, because the the end of the movie was so rapid to me like a very very slow curve to when it started actually climaxing and i might actually be looking at this completely wrong but it seemed like a very static line with ups and downs and then just shot upwards so i'm definitely looking at this from a more western movie point of view yeah because and and i definitely think that's yeah because it's just a different way that the events are there so i think things that we would expect to kind of been led into earlier in the film from a more from a more western standpoint 
yeah wouldn't happen until later in yeah i wonder there there was characters that i i thought might have a bigger role i thought there was interactions that would occur that did not the movie as a whole kept me guessing mm. so like i thought sudamaru was going to have a bigger a bigger imprint on the whole thing i didn't expect I mean, the suitors thing, when it comes to fol folklore and fairy tales, made a whole lot of sense, and I really enjoyed that. But mm. instead, what I expected was Sudamaru to come around, and that to be a subject, to reintroduce that character, rather than just another dream sequence. I mean, if we look at him as the representation of the freedom, and mm. therefore a representation of happiness, it makes a lot of sense where he comes in and he leaves and so forth. As a standard story beat, I actually expected to come back to be an, a character once again. Right. I think I think his character was there. I honestly think his character was there enough. For, well, for what they were doing, yes. Yeah. Right. Like, it was... I mean, I definitely think he had the impact, even though he wasn't present for half the film. Mm. I, 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 her entire early life is around him and i'm assuming his brothers you know continuing to play in that free spirit right from birth essentially and to the point that when gone from her life so she goes back from the nightmare sequence to find him again finds him again and is feels absolutely helpless to be able to to save him when he's getting beat right to She's straight up saying, "It's like you would have been my happy. I would have been happy with you. I can tell that." Mm -hmm. So he, in a way, he was always present without being present. I think, even again with the suitors, I think she, I think she called him, called them on their bullshit, strictly because she knew, because of the relationship she had with Sudamar. Mm. So she could. She could see right through it. She knew instantly it wasn't genuine. And the closest any of the suitors came to being genuine was the one talking about the wildflower, where it's like, yeah, no, this, where it made it seem like she had a little bit more of that passion for life, even though it didn't, right? But she was making all the promises of let's run away to the mountains. We don't need all of this. And right? she was, she was, she was tempted though. Yeah. It was like in tears, and that was an emotional scene for me because I was like, I, I went from FBI girl, call them on their BS to, oh geez, like this this guy's actually promising her things she wants and she needs. Yeah. Obviously, they the suitor wasn't truthful. Like I didn't get that from yeah. him at all. But yeah. I do, I do like how that was kind of the middle point of the film. The suitors. There was just something so character-defining of her issuing a challenge of that sort. Like, these unobtainable objects that you say that I am like, you want to be married to me, you're going to have to provide me with the, this object. So it, it kind of establishes her in such a way of... These men thought of her only as a prize to begin with. Yeah. Like, when they were racing to be the first one to get there, yeah. like, they were giving you the distinct impression it was because uh, Kaguya was a prize to be won. 
Yes. So it was just, it was super refreshing when she was just like, all right, you need to be, bring me these things. If you, you say I'm like these, then these things, and these things must exist. Therefore you must bring me this thing to, you know, prove that you love me. Yeah. And then I, I was hoping that she would individually rebu rebuff them, but you, you had two off screen that died or got lost or whatnot you had the two there's yeah. like okay burn the fire rat thing and then the the jewelers the artisans yeah uh, i did laugh when the young one fell when trying to get into the sparrow's nest and then he landed but the whole like i think they did that on purpose i know i know exactly i think i know exactly where you're going with that yeah it was funny and then just that mic drop of yeah he's dead yeah okay and well in other uh, in other animated stuff like this even from ghibli like a fall from twice that height into a, a pot would be like just a comedic laugh yeah. so they definitely turn that around well um, yeah i <laughs> that all goes back to costs like the the tree with the jeweled branches uh, the spending your fortune and going on this uh, adventure overseas and getting lost in a storm or losing your life. I guess for the se the second suitor, he lost, I assume, his marriage because he was already married. Yeah. So, the, like, the cost of pursuing these things seemed to be a recurring theme, but I don't think it, as we discussed before, I don't think it was the major one. Yeah, I, I think it was something to accentuate the overall idea of happiness as opposed to being a theme in and of itself. When when I saw the suitors at that point there, I honestly almost had to go and recheck the title because I was thinking, is this the tale of Prince Kaguya or the tales? Oh. <laughs> right? Because I could kind of see those um, segments. I think, again, the bigger thing of that, there's the cost aspect there. But again, there's also the idea of, I, I think the death of the one suitor plays back more to the idea of her of the happiness and just her wanting to enjoy life mm. because she has a complete breakdown the second she hears tears of his death right? yeah. she starts she goes and destroys her garden and everything so it was that was a weird emotional point for me if we were to discuss that scene just for a moment because the emotions that were expressed to me there were that it just culminated that she knew this whole thing was a farce and that her garden was just a stand-in for the mountain that she really truly liked but none of it none of it seemed to be that that this mission and this thing that she gave to this person cost him his life that just seemed to be I mean, self-centered is probably the wrong connotation I want to give about it, but she definitely, where her father only had sights for what she could be, in that instance, she only had sights for what she didn't have, which was freedom, which I mean, it was a pivotal scene for her, for sure, but there was just something about that, like, you gave this guy a mission and it caused him to lose his life, and the breakdown scene... It seemed to trigger it, but was unrelated. So, I guess, and this could be why I saw it that way, mm. the, the, the him losing his life. Um, if you think back, or I said, 
I always assumed she was a spirit. Yes. And I thought she was a spirit of the mountain. Right. So at this point here, we still don't know about the moon connection. Yeah. So I saw that as a as a snap because it's the antithesis of her being a mountain a spirit of the life of the mountain. Oh yeah, yeah. So, right. So so that's where my thoughts came from that, and that's where my idea of I think it led me to the the right idea, even though it was the wrong. Yeah, yeah. No, any point. Yeah, because it's the idea of just valuing life, be that the the freedom to run around in a field with your friends, or the 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 music, or the the sounds of nature, all of that. And so, when when she sees herself as the cause of that. And it's really, again, just accumulation of all of this, the entire facade, for lack of a better term, of her life in the capital. Mm. It, it, it snaps. And, you know, when you, when you hit an emotional peak like that, you lash out at the things you care about. True. And that garden is what she cared about. That mountain is what she cared about. So I think that's the culmination because again it's not like it was out of nowhere like there was always that build of it she had that bit of freedom again because she just figured the suitors wouldn't even bother trying Mm. and gets pulled back in because all of a sudden three of the suitors are showing up with their gifts to find out she's not even going to see the last (laughs) see the other suitors because of what happened right yeah so so I think that's where that comes from. That's where that snap comes from. I'll tell you what, though. I'm super, I'm super happy about what the film didn't do. Okay. So in Western media, if a girl who wanted freedom became a princess, reluctantly she would end up taking upon the role and leadership and then being you know the best princess she could be while still being a wild child or something that that's your disney take yeah so they completely just didn't do that which was Mm -hmm. super refreshing to me that same old story just told over and over and over again i've just i've had enough of it so the fact (laughs) that it was she didn't go like oh there is value in this and this is who I, who I actually am, even though I can balance this with being wild and being myself. Yeah. Because thematically over the course of the movie, they like, they express very well that becoming like a princess or a nobility figure was not her. Mm-hmm. And you could see it. Uh, I mentioned this earlier. Every time she would go into her princess mode activates all the life drains out of her eyes. Like the top leg goes completely flat and it's very downtrodden and droopy. Um, so when her posture is correct and she's moving uh, demurely and playing the instrument really well, there doesn't seem to be that happy expression on her face. Yeah. Where it is all, all for show. I just, I just wish the father could have seen that. Because yeah. I know, I know I mean, for a fact with his character, if he if he had seen and been able to acknowledge that, he would have given up life in the capital at a drop of a hat and just gone back to being a woodcutter. Yeah, but he was blind to it, right? It, that's exactly it. He 
you use that idea of but this is what this is what makes people happy i don't know it, it even carries through to to modern culture people just think that being the the rich or the famous or something is is what happiness is and what success is i think a lot of people need to realize that that's not what it is sometimes you know you find your happiness and and your success can be defined as something as simple as having enough money to go to a movie when you want yeah and i wish more people realized that and like he clearly wasn't being there's no maliciousness in it you definitely see that when he realizes oh crap he probably could have prevented a lot of this like after the whole emperor scene oh the right the entire right and and like he's literally doing everything he can to protect his daughter and i I got in that feeling that yeah he would have immediately left and brought them back to the to the mountain i actually found it so heartbreaking when um when uh kaguya and um the mother go back to the mountain and he said like that same family that that fed her when she was you know essentially a destitute there and they see her there because there was just such joy in her being back in the mountain and it was almost that that loss of innocence feel like when they see her it's like oh no you're the you're a you're a princess and they, a princess and they bow and, and run pretty much yeah the instant switch in the, the facial expressions of the character yeah. at that scene because it went from like that kaguya or I guess if you were to differentiate the little bamboo full of life, full of happiness instantly into yeah. uh, princess mode Kaguya, who, I mean, that's my, my favorite Saturday morning Japanese animated cartoon. Um, <laughs> but yeah, she goes, she goes into princess mode and then instantly life drains from her eyes and that that was heartbreaking to me as well. It it was that scene itself was very complex because it made me realize that parts of the dream were cor- correct or real, but it also did very well at highlighting who she is and what she's experienced versus how she's treated and how it makes her feel. And you you can't help but not feel something. Yeah. At, at that point, and it, it's amazing that again, just like that quick scene that quick turn in in that second you you know and she knows she can never go back true and and it, it it's literally in the flash of a second it's amazing to see that and have it expressed so clearly yeah it's all the the little things in this this movie when it comes to the seasons changing and time passing the, the emotions that it expresses from like a freedom loving little roly poly ball of jelly, little bamboo, <laughs> adventuring with the boys and like help, helping her father to the sadness she feels trying to learn how to become like this nobility. Yeah. Overall, I wouldn't mind seeing a visual representation of the balance like as you mentioned earlier but 
maybe something on like a scale uh, throughout this entire movie so you can see where it's like pulling because it seems to change gradually and then rapidly snap back and change gradually and snap back uh, emotionally speaking yeah and it's one of those things that might see something a little bit more on a on repeat viewing mm. i definitely felt it that, that yin yang balance but yeah, i couldn't find i can't think of anything offhand visually either that really points to it but i'm sure there is something there and it's, it's one of the things ghibli is they're, they're good at showing that in in other films so i'm beginning to wonder if in those scenes if the only real splashes of her color um were like in the robe she was wearing mm. things like that i bet i bet you if we rewatched it we'd be like oh yeah okay so nothing else has color in this scene except the robes that robe she that she has to wear things yeah. like that there, there's a few times i kind of noticed something like that but i can't like pinpoint quite, or place yeah i can't quite pinpoint it to what was happening in the story beats around there to to say how that connected like the only very clear one i can think of again is a nightmare scene <laughs> right so um but again i associated that again more with the seasons at first mm. but you're right it might have been more of a, an attempt to be a yin and yang or something like that right it's hard to say like you you've opened me up to a lot of different potential thought patterns to kind of view this this movie with i i'm really interested how, how i'd feel about it on a on another viewing also i'm wondering if watching the other ghibli movies that i don't like with the same kind of aspect might change my point of view but this this one did the thing that just makes me dislike some of these ghibli movies which is like <laughs> Can I can I buy uh ending? Thanks. It's like, oh oh yeah, and she's from the moon. With what? I I know this is based off of a folktale and this this is likely something that would be implied through some type of context that way. But as someone coming into it, I'm just like, oh no, yeah, she's from the moon now. Mm, what? Yeah, now she, now she has to go back. I I would have much preferred a woodland spirit or a goddess of the mountain. Mm. It just there was nothing foreshadowing about it. I can think of one thing in retrospect that does, but this is a very this is very loose. Mm. The song that she sang was always talking about following the sun. And in a lot of mythology, the sun and moon are basically counterparts yeah. to each other, as opposed to that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, but that's um, like offhand. That's Devon levels. We need simple Drew levels here. <laughs> 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 right. Um, again, some of this might be again not being as first in in Japanese symbolism in the same way. So. Example that I always think of is with with um, Sailor Moon. Mm. Her name is Usagi, which means rabbit. And I go, well, what the heck does that mean? Well, in Japan, they don't see a man in the moon or a lady in the moon. They see a rabbit in the moon. Mm. 
so so there's a connection with the name Usagi, which immediately ties her to the moon, which in a way could be a foreshadowing to her being of you know Princess Serenity and and being Sailor Moon. There, there's that that tie there. So I don't know if things like there might be a tie to bamboo having a meaning or, or something like that that we just don't necessarily know. That's true. So, I mean, um, aesthetically, she, the way that she was unveiled uh, from the bamboo stalk could have been a, like a commonly viewed depiction of a, a, a moon spirit or something. Yeah. Something like that. I just... It was just so out of nowhere for me. And then you th- you throw on the sorrow of the characters with no emotional resolution, in my opinion, to the to the story. And I, f- I left the movie with no conclusion. This is the one of the... We, we, talk, we, we spent an hour talking about the things we liked about the movie. It's probably about <laughs> time we're talking about the thing I don't like, which is how I felt this movie is incomplete leaving it 30 second epilogue or vocal outro would have been nice to me like what happened to the parents oh i see where you're coming from with this i and i'm not a hundred percent certain i agree with with your ideas of it being a lack of ending Mm. So again, I've said this before. Like very early on, I figured she was going to die young. Yeah. Well, I thought she was going to have to go somewhere, go back somewhere. Yeah. 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 I just jumped on again the seasons like winter death. Mm. I immediately had those thoughts, and then again seeing the dream sequence where you know she was flying and then basically just plummets to the plummets to the ground. I'm like, so I, I got those kind of. I, I I saw the metaphors of her dying there, and. So, I see, again, I don't see a good resolution, like, it's not a happy ending resolution by any means. Well, I wouldn't even but... see that as a resolution, like, she dies, everyone's sad, and the movie. Well, what else do you really need? Like, you, you, you talk about the, uh, uh, the epilogue, so, I mean, I know you said you saw another, you listened to another version of it where they went back to the to the house and saw our moonlight's like yeah i could see again like a few seconds scene for that but beyond that i think just the i'll tell you what i want all right i want bamboo cutter and his wife with no no indication of whether or not they went back to the mountain or they're still there just like maybe on a bench just wearing average clothes and soon tomorrow in a similar situation maybe like holding his sleeping child and then, independently, they're just looking at the moon. Fade to credits. Right. That would have been enough of a conclusion for me. Okay. It's just there, some type of emotional conclusion. Because this entire thing was an emotional piece to me. So it just left me in a, in a state where I was like, now what? I'm sad now. Now what do I do? <laughs> for me, I didn't... Sad isn't quite the word that I... I used for my feelings at the at the end of the film Mm. and this could be where where that distinction comes from so i saw it as bittersweet and the way it ended just let me left me contemplative i 
sat in silence for about half hour after the film, just taking taking that in. So I didn't feel like it needed anything more. Mm. I, I feel like while we didn't get the post scene, essentially of of the parents, we got the we had it just before that, right? The the, the final resolution with the parents was them getting a, a a few more moments with their daughter when she snaps out of it because of uh because of hearing the song that was the that was their end mm. for me so to me the final lingering scene was her glancing back at the earth showing that there was still that she still had that little bit of emotion even though she couldn't connect that for me was the end was the emotional ending that was what needed to be there i didn't need to see anything around them because we've already seen the effect of she's had on to tomorrow on her dad on her mom we needed to see the effect that lingered with her mm. okay i see where you're coming from it's it's weird to have like two completely different emotional ta takes on a on a piece like that yeah. And I think I think they did well in this film to go back to a positive to allow you to project upon the film but not completely and not wholly. So the vast majority was the emotions they were trying to express but you could still project aspects of yourself. It's not full like superhero neutral mask where like you you are the superhero. This was definitely yeah. like these are the things I feel and I can see them reflected mm -hmm. back at me by this film i guess would be the best way to see yeah i think they didn't have the idea of her possibly being able to saved be saved with satamaru and and um, her handmaiden when she was hearing the song because I, I figured that that pining might have done it yeah i think that's oh i see what you're saying so the pining mentioned in the song to come home you were looking at it as the pining of those around her for her so that she would remain. Yeah. See, my perspective of that was the opposite. Was her, okay. when confronted by the inappropriate prince or royalty or king or whatever he was, um, she pined for escape or to leave there to go home and called to the moon, so she had to go return back to the moon. But that yeah. is also kind of obvious based on the story. I do... I love it and I hate it. Mm. That scene where the uh, handmaiden comes in with the children and they're singing the song and she pauses because it gives you that glimpse. Oh, she can stay and there's going to be a happily ever after. But like five seconds later, it's like, no, yeah. no boner. <laughs> and I'm just like, what? And that's, that's probably where that feeling of loss that I have comes from because of that yeah. fake, not fake, but that, I got duped there. Yeah. Yeah, they give you just enough hope. And, and yeah, I felt that, because again, that's where I saw in the song. I I think your interpretation is probably closer to what the intention was. Oh, really? I was thinking yours. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I mean, so, so I see what you're saying, that I'm super smart and always right. But I think on this one... <laughs> um, so, it's... We we've we've talked about this off stream. Like the interpretation of music is such a such a 
subjective thing. Mm. And not only that, we're going into this with music that we're not hearing in our native language, so we don't know if there's actually nuances mm. in in what they're saying or anything like that. So I, I took that pining and, you know, those few glimmers of hope with the last few moments with Satomaru, with her parents, with her handmaiden, right? And that's what I was thinking, that that pining might do it, even though she was very clear that, no, it was too late still. You know, I, I think it gave me that bit of hope. But the idea of pining for home, I can, I can kind of see that as well. Yeah, no, it's... it's just because it doesn't work thematically for me. It's abrasive, the two concepts in my head. Yeah. Because her consideration of home, I mentioned this, would be the mountain. Yeah, no, you're right. But it could be also context and words. Because mm-hmm. words, especially in other cultures, will have different meanings depending on word usage. Whereas it, the difference between me asking you, uh, where you're from and where's your home are two will have two different places yeah if if you were to ask me where i was from i would probably say saskatchewan or alberta if you asked me where home is i'd probably say vancouver island yeah so i i'm wondering if in deeper look or more cultural context if that would be a thing but yeah. i mean we're just speculating at that point yeah exactly there's I'm sure there's something lost in translation. I think it's, I want to say it's probably fairly minor what's lost in translation because I think they did very well with the visuals and the emotions of it. So, well, I mean, the emotions I think it's more are universal. Yeah. I think it's just more the nuances. And, you know, again, maybe there's just these little bits of foreshadowing that we didn't see or, or something from that. You know, even with the sense of loss and the lacking of an ending in my opinion, I still would rate this film highly. It just did so well in its expression. I would give this nine out of 12 beautiful layers of ropes. I'm going to go a little bit higher. I'm going to give this, I'm going to give this a 10 out of 12 beautiful ropes, which I'm, fairly happy with so hmm. this has been beauty and the beast media club join us next time on second wall for the fourth part in season one wrap-up to carolyn tuesday and following that event horizon on media club check out beautyandthebeast.com for the list of platforms and services we're on however if there's someone out there that you love you make the perfect proposal gift see you next time peace